0: Part 1, Section 1 of The Freedom of the Will by Jonathan Edwards This LibriVox recording is in the public domain, wherein are explained and stated various terms and things belonging to the subject of the ensuing discourse, concerning the nature of the will. It may possibly be thought that there is no great need of going about to define or describe the will this word being generally as well understood as any other words we can use to explain it. And so perhaps it would be had not philosophers, metaphysicians, and polemic divines brought the matter into obscurity by the things they have said of it. But since it is so, I think it may be of some use and will tend to the greatest clearness in the following discourse to say a few things concerning it. And therefore I observe that the will, without any metaphysical refining, is plainly that by which the mind chooses anything. The faculty of the will is that faculty or power or principle of mind by which it is capable of choosing. An act of the will is the same act of choosing or choice. If anything, it is a more perfect definition of the will to say that it is that by which the soul either chooses or refuses. I am content with it. Though I think that it is enough to say, it is that by which the soul chooses. For every act of the will whatsoever, the mind chooses one thing rather than another. It chooses something rather than the contrary, or rather than the want or non-existence of that thing. So in every act of refusal, The mind chooses the absence of the things refused. The positive and the negative are felt before the mind for its choice, and it chooses the negative. And the mind's making its choice in that case is properly the act of the will. The will's determining between the two is a voluntary determining, but that is the same thing as making a choice. So that whatever names we call the act of the will, by choosing, refusing, approving, disapproving, liking, disliking, embracing, rejecting, determining, directing, commanding, forbidding, inclining, or being averse, of being pleased or displeased with, all may be reduced to this thing of choosing. For the soul to act voluntarily is evermore to act electively. Mr. Locke says, the will signifies nothing but a power or ability to prefer or choose. And in the foregoing page says, the word preferring seems best to express the act of volition, but adds, it does it not precisely. For, says he, though a man would prefer flying to walking, yet who can say he ever wills it? But the instance he mentions does not prove that there is anything else than willing, but merely preferring. For it should be considered, what is the next and immediate object of the will? With respect to a man's walking, or any other external action, which is not being removed from one place to another, on the earth, or through the air, there are remoter objects of preference. But such or such an immediate exertion of himself, the thing nextly chosen or preferred when a man wills to walk is not as being removed to such a place where he would be, but such an exertion and motion of his legs and feet, etc., in order to it and his willing such an alteration in his body in the present moment, is nothing else but his choosing or preferring such an alteration in his body at such a moment, or his liking it better than the forbearance of it. And God has so made and established the human nature, the soul being united to a body in proper state, that the soul preferring or choosing such an immediate exertion or alteration of the body such an alteration instantaneously follows. There is nothing else in the actions of my mind that I am conscious of while I walk, but only my preferring or choosing, through successive moments, that there should be such alterations of my external sensations and motions, together with a concurring habitual expectation that it will be so, having either found by experience that on such an immediate preference, such sensations and emotions do actually instantaneously and constantly arise. But it is not so in the case of flying. Though a man may be said remotely to choose or prefer flying, yet he does not choose or prefer, incline or to desire, under circumstances in view, any immediate exertion of the members of his body in order to it, because he has no expectation that he should obtain the desired end by any such exertion. And he does not prefer or incline to any bodily exertion or effort under this apprehended circumstance of its being wholly in vain, so that if we carefully distinguish the proper objects of the several acts of the will it will not appear by this, and such like instances, that there is any difference between volition and preference, or that a man's choosing, liking best, or being best pleased with a thing, are not the same with his willing that thing, as they seem to be according to those general and more natural motions of men, according to which language is formed. Thus, an act of the will is commonly expressed by its pleasing a man to do thus or thus, and a man doing as he wills, and doing as he pleases, are the same thing in common speech. Mr. Locke says, The will is perfectly distinguished from desire, which in the very same action may have a quite contrary tendency that which our wills set us upon. A man, says he, whom I cannot deny, may oblige me to use persuasions to another, which, at the same time I am speaking, I may wish may not prevail on him. In this case, it is plain the will and desire run counter. I do not suppose that the will and desire are words of precisely the same signification. Will seems to be a word of a more general signification, extending to things present and absent, Desire respects something absent. I may prefer my present situation and posture, suppose sitting still, or having my eyes open, and so may will it. But yet I cannot think they are so entirely distinct that they can ever be properly said to encounter. A man never in any instant wills anything contrary to his desires, or desires anything contrary to his will. The aforementioned instance, which Mr. Locke produces, does not prove that he ever does. He may, on some consideration or other, will to utter speeches which have a tendency to persuade another, and still may desire that they may not persuade him. But yet, his will and desire does not run counter at all. The thing which he wills, the very same thing which he desires, and he does not will a thing, and desire the contrary in any particular. In this instance, it is not carefully observed what is the thing willed, and what is the thing desired. If it were, it would be found that will and desire does not clash in the least. The thing willed on some consideration is to utter such words, and certainly the same consideration so influences him that he does not desire the contrary. All things considered, he chooses to utter such words and does not desire not to utter them. And so as to the thing which Mr. Locke speaks of as desired, that the words, though they tend to persuade, should not be effectual to that end. His will is not contrary to this. He does not will that they should be effectual, but rather he wills that they should not as he desires, in order to prove that the will and desire may encounter. It should be shown that they may be contrary one to another in the same thing, or with respect to the very same object of will or desire. But here the objects are two, and in each, taken by themselves, the will and desire agree. And it is no wonder that they should not agree in different things, however little distinguished they are in their nature. The will may not agree with the will, nor desire agree with the desire, in different things. As in this very instance which Mr. Locke mentions, a person may, on some consideration, desire to use persuasions, and at the same time may desire they may not prevail. But yet nobody will say that desire runs counter to desire, or that this proves that the desire is perfectly a distinct thing from desire. The like might be observed of the other instance Mr. Locke produces, of a man's desiring to be eased of pain, etc. But not to dwell any longer on this, whether desire and will and whether preference and volition be precisely the same things or no, yet I trust it will be allowed by all, that in every act of will there is an act of choice, that in every act of volition there is a preference or prevailing inclination of the soul, whereby the soul, at that instance, is out of a state of perfect indifference with respect to the direct object of the volition, so that every act or going forth of the will, there is some preponderation of the mind or inclination one way rather than another, and the soul had rather have to do one thing than another or then not to have to do that thing, and that there, where there's absolutely no preferring or choosing, but a perfect continuing equilibrium, there is no volition. End of Part 1, Section 1